just past five o'clock, which means it's time for Throwback Thursday here on 106.9 Tune FM. Right after this song, we're going to be joined by Dr. Lewis Fitzgerald to talk about the release of the very first Star Wars film in 1977. So don't go anywhere. That's coming up next. But before that, another song from 1977. It's Boz Skaggs with Lido Shuffle. See you after this.
Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1977. <laughs> We're joined by Dr. Lewis Fitzgerald to discuss the release of the first Star Wars film on the 25th of May, 1977. This is 50 Years of Tune FM, 1977. You're listening to Throwback Thursday on 106.9 Tune FM. We're up to the year 1977 and we're lucky to be joined by Dr. Lewis Fitzgerald to talk about the release of the first Star Wars film. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Jacob. Thanks very much for having me on the show. No worries at all. So can you give us a little bit of background? Because I think everybody's heard of Star Wars, but how was Hollywood in 1977 different to the Hollywood landscape that today's Star Wars films are being released into? Okay, well... Uh, 1977 and Star Wars for me brings back a couple of very distinct memories. First of all, I was at NIDA studying to be an actor. I think I was in second year and I saw the film with a student colleague who unfortunately didn't go on to graduate with me, but I remember it very well. We saw the film in the George Street cinemas and uh, we didn't really know what we were seeing, but we laughed out loud. We had no, that's to say we didn't have an expectation uh, although they'd been, the film had been, of course, promoted. We'd seen trailers in theatres and so on. But I hadn't expected the film to be so funny. And I think one of the things that Star Wars um, did very well was marry humour uh, to to the space opera with the, the cowboy sort of um, structure. So so it did a lot of things that hadn't been done before. But the Hollywood in from which or into which it emerged um, was pretty much changed forever by that that gang, that um, that by then contemporary sort of rat pack, to borrow the sort of Frank Sinatra phrase about, or, or title around uh, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and all those gang who were the rat pack of music, but but the Spielberg, Lucas Coppola and others, those that group of, of young men changed uh, the Hollywood landscape forever. Spielberg is credited with um, with creating the the first summer blockbuster ever. We now sort of expect that the summer blockbuster has been there always. We we sort of see it as um, as a staple of of, of American uh, production of, of Hollywood manufacture, and we we look forward to those releases that are timed for summer holidays. It's different for us in the southern hemisphere, but we understand the principles that guide it. Well, the first summer blockbuster, of course, was was uh, Jaws, nineteen seventy four, if memory serves, a scant few years before. Uh, Star Wars release in 77. So um, that had already indicated to us that that change was afoot. And around the same time, Close Encounters came out. I think that would have been 78, a year after Star Wars. So um, there was a great deal that was shifted by by the advent of Star Wars. I don't think science fiction had done particularly well um, up until... It's a reimagination uh, at the hands of Lucas. Uh, but what he did, as I say so successfully, was he tied it to models that were immediately recognisable to an American audience, the tropes of the cowboy film, uh, the black hat and the white hat, uh, the desert landscapes, um, the, uh, the, the trusty steeds, if you like, in the form of the, uh, 
the hovercraft-like machine that opens the film, the big scores that often went with westerns. If you went to a party in the 1970s, you were just as likely to find the long play record of the film's soundtrack as you were to find the music of the day. It was that popular, the big booming soundtrack, the familiar sort of tropes of uh, the crawl of the, um, the title sequence, the, those sorts of things were, were trading on things that, that had a, a sort of a, almost a race mem- memory or a cultural memory in American uh, uh, pop culture and, uh, and, and Lucas cleaned up. So a very different Hollywood landscape. Um, I've read a couple of interesting things in the lead up to this interview about where George Lucas came up with this idea and, and where it all came from and the difficulty that he had that he had pitching it because before this, he'd only had one really successful film, hadn't he? Yes, that's right. And um, uh, this would, of course, become his life's work, his magnum opus, and uh, uh, the term sort of space opera would would describe not just the um, the nature of the thing, but the the difficulties of mounting it, uh, you know, and the difficulties of finding funding for it, because it was imagined on such a scale that it that it um, exceeded the uh, uh, imaginative capacity of those who held the purse strings initially. Uh, uh, Lucas's success changed all that, of course, and uh, spawned a, a sea of imitators, which we might get to a bit later. Absolutely. So what impact did Star Wars, just the initial film before we get into the, the original trilogy, what impact did it make immediately upon its release? Well, I guess it did a couple of things. It, it, um, it confirmed again that there, that it confirmed that there was an appetite for science fiction of a kind of a particular kind. Um, but it, it also confirmed, um, the, uh, let me say the, 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 the mythic sort of structure of, of films that Hollywood had long depended upon, but this almost rigid in stone for a subsequent generation of filmmakers. So we had a, have the, the classic sort of three act structure that would later be studied and students of the university will no doubt be aware of the three act structure that they looked at uh, in, if they've been taking any screen units. So um, that sort of thing was confirmed by the film. Other things were uh, um, uh, made, as I say, the, the, the Western genre being employed so adroitly, those sorts of things confirmed that, that old forms could be made new again and that, um, it needn't be such a reach to uh, uh, adapt um, uh, popular and uh, and highly kind of successful forms in this way. So uh, it, of course, announced a, a whole uh, group of, of, of stars. Um, uh, stars were uh, immediately um, uh, crowned on the release of this film. Uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. Um, and, of course, the employment of, of older uh, established stars, Alec Guinness and others, who Sir Alec, Sir Alec Guinness, who uh, brought a, a level of gravitas to the film that uh, the younger generation or the younger cohort of actors perhaps lacked, and maybe without that marriage of uh, American and British know-how on the acting side, uh, some of the uh, most memorable qualities of the film might have been missed. Remember, it was made all on film. It was made with what we would now consider to be uh, virtually steam age technologies or just past the steam age in the sense that uh, green screen was, was uh, very um, basic. Uh, and in the initial release of the film, you could still see that green edged halo uh, around 
around actors uh, that was later sort of digitally removed when that became available as an option for George Lucas, along with some other changes that he made that were less well received by by fans. It also built um, a, a cult audience that that made the um, sequels to the film almost inevitable. Uh, I'm not quite sure about the advent of Comic-Con, but the industrial um, uh, sort of post-release landscape that surrounded the film quickly brought about uh, the um, the cosplay sort of uh, um, world of fandom. Uh, it became uh, a target on the radar of other manufacturers uh, who could see uh, room in that uh, in that space to capitalise for themselves. And so the wider creative industries benefited from the film. So I'm thinking, of course, of Mattel, the toy manufacturer. You've got to remember that um, the Barbie doll is estimated to be, you know, like the average American household is estimated to have at least eight Barbie dolls in it. So it, Mattel already knew this. So all they needed to do was put a different face on the Barbie doll, as it were, and capitalise on the success of of, of of Star Wars. And we know what happened next. And that, of course, changed all kinds of aspects of uh, of making and of contracting, so actors, the employment of actors' likenesses. Boy, oh boy, if you if you could play a character who would then be made into a doll, there's a whole other licensing arrangement and a whole other area of profitability. So um, once once it was established to have been a good and successful idea, quickly around it um, uh, was constructed the apparatus that allowed for the strip mining of that idea and its further commodification and commercial exploitation. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1977. Elsewhere in 77, the king of rock and roll Elvis Presley was found dead of an apparent heart attack at the age of 42. Presley died suddenly at his mansion Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. Fans around the world mourned his loss. Presley began his career as a teenager in the early 1950s and he was soon catapulted into international stardom with his first single Heartbreak Hotel in 1956. Known for his distinctive voice and controversial dance moves, Elvis also starred in several musical films. Ranking as one of the highest-selling solo artists in history, fame took its toll on the singer. He struggled with drug abuse, health issues, and a divorce from his longtime partner Priscilla in the final years of his life. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is Smokey with Living Next Door to Alice. Sally called when she got the word She said, I suppose you've heard About Alice Well, I rushed to the window And I looked outside But I could hardly believe my eyes A big limousine rolled up Into Alice's drive I don't know why she's leaving or where she's gonna go I guess she's got her reasons but I just don't wanna know Cause for 24 years I've been living next door to Alice 24 years just waiting for a chance To tell her how I feel and maybe get a second Me 
big limousine pulled slowly out of Alice's drive. Oh, I don't know why she's leaving or where she's gonna go. I guess she's got her reasons, but I just don't wanna know. Cause for 24 years I've been living next door to Alice. 24 years just waiting for a chance to tell her how I feel and maybe get a second glance. Now I gotta get used to not living next door to Alice. Then Sally called back and asked how I felt. You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1977, the first Star Wars film with Dr. Lewis Fitzgerald. As someone who was, as you said, around and watching films um, when these initial Star Wars films came out, three years later, Empire Strikes Back in 1980, um, what kind of hype did that have for it after the success of the first film? Oh, there's a a very heightened degree of expectation and um, I, I can... I, I, I can't recall exactly the same um, uh, set of thrills, but there was a sense of, uh, of continuing adventure. It, it, the, 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 um, the emergence of familiar characters or the, re, the reacquaintancing, the acquaintanceship of, with familiar characters was, of course, a big factor. Uh, that soundtrack uh, lived in the memory. Uh, so the, the audience was immediately rewarded. And those first couple of films, a bit like the first couple of Rocky films, uh, were were just tremendous. They were absolutely tremendous. And of course, the uh, the franchise goes on to make I think a casual estimate will be ten billion dollars. Ten billion dollars. It's estimated that ninety um, percent of Americans have seen at least one Star Wars film. So whether we go through them now, chapter and verse, through their release dates, I think the overview is that it is just um, a, a beer moth. It is, it is beyond, it's perhaps beyond even Lucas's capacity to imagine, capacity to imagine how, how vast a, a, a project it, it would ultimately be. And he's had to, of course, let it go and leave it, uh, bequeath it, if you will, uh, to the hands of others. You mentioned that it came at a time when the summer blockbuster was a new sort of thing with Jaws really being the first just a few years earlier. Um, what has that kind of spawned when we think of, of Hollywood today? Because as you said, we see them so frequently. Well, the Hollywood blockbuster 
um, of course, is a staple uh, of the production cycle. Um, and it has, the success of films like that has skewed the landscape and ultimately um, in, in both positive and negative ways, uh, the, the, the smaller film uh, that uh, would, you know, a, a small family drama or, or comedy that might be uh, uh, scheduled with particular audience demographics in mind has largely been squeezed out. Films um, between five and 10 or between 10 and $30 million don't really get made in the United States. Um, so there's a whole sort of raft of changes that the summer blockbuster wrought, which it's worth pointing out, um, has been brought to a screeching halt by the advent of COVID-19. So um, the examples that one might give are that the summer that um, America is sort of embarked upon right now uh, has no blockbusters to see. Uh, there, there's no, the, 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 the uh, release of the latest Bond film was the first, I think, or among the very first to be pushed back um, until I believe later in July or even further um, so that the risk of, of economic loss uh, is uh, diminished um, by, by rescheduling the film at a time when uh, audiences are once more allowed to flock to the cinemas to see it. But something else happened as a consequence. I appreciate this is a bit of a segue, but as a consequence of COVID, one of the, you've got to understand that films are made by um, uh, filmmakers uh, produced by networks or studios and released uh, in turn by distributors. And there's a chain there. And the distribution of films through organisations as large as AMC, which controls thousands of screens around the world, um, They've been rather sidestepped during COVID. So there are examples of films that have been released uh, straight to uh, video on demand and so forth. And some have become very, very successful. So the relation between production and distribution, which was kind of forever sort of altered by the advent of the summer blockbuster, can blockbuster, I should say, can, can be seen to be um, uh, at, at great risk of change in relation to global uh, events, recent global events. And, that, that can't be underestimated. That may shift the production landscape quite dramatically, um, seismically, uh, one, one might say. But in the meantime, uh, the uh, production cycle of, of uh, the, the uh, now Disney-owned uh, Star Wars uh, uh, franchise rolls on. How has the way that a blockbuster film is marketed and released and received changed between 1977 and say the Star Wars or, or Marvel movies that come out today. Um, how has that changed? Oh, gee, uh, I, I would see that that as an evolutionary. Um, the, the, it's not been a, I just mentioned uh, uh, COVID as, 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 as changing the environment um, uh, very, very dramatically, but, but prior to something as cataclysmic as the advent of COVID, the changes around the, summer blockbuster, blockbuster, I keep saying blockbuster, I can't imagine why, the changes around the summer blockbuster have been evolutionary. They've, they've tended to be um, uh, uh, represented the slow um, aggregation of, of, of wealth and uh, wealth producers into less, uh, fewer and fewer um, franchises. Uh, and the, the, uh, the way we see this happening is resort to the familiar so rather than try and come up with because you've got to imagine you've got to remember that um that the star wars was 
it perhaps overstates it, but it's George Lucas's wholly original idea, is it not? Uh, whereas um, the Marvel and DC universes rely on established worlds that, uh, that already have um, slavish uh, audiences and fans uh, who, who, had, who have been consuming them at some, in some form or another for um, decades in the form of their, their original form as comics and so forth. So here you see the, the uh, distribution apparatus hungry for product that will, that will um, mimic the uh, commercial success of Star Wars, but reluctant to take the uh, creative risk of, of doing that anew. And so instead you see uh, the recycling of existing uh, franchises that may, as I say, once again, be strip-mined in new ways. So the comic book or, or the, uh, the graphic novel uh, and so on, uh, which uh, reassures the executives and the financiers that, well, there's already a market, a proven market for this. Therefore, it's far more simplistic to give this a green light than it would be to say, oh, go off and do something wholly new. And if we hark back, <clears throat> pardon me, if we hark back to, um, uh, to Star Wars once again, we see uh, that, that other franchises um, emerged similarly, uh, in, in, you might say, on, on the coattails of the Star Wars success. So the reboots of the Star Trek uh, television series as feature films uh, featuring the original cast, for example, was terrifically successful. Uh, and that now continues in, in rebooted forms with wholly new casts. Uh, which is where we are where we are sort of only at last i might say up to in the star wars uh, universe where uh, the beloved original characters have i think by now uh, all been all been killed off uh, and and greatly mourned uh, and revivified by digital technology in order to uh, sort of squeeze the last uh, uh, culturally appropriate uh, and uh, commercially viable drops from their uh, from their uh, long dead uh, forms really uh, you know i mean i think um but uh, getting back to what else uh, star wars um generates that that affects the the blockbuster narrative well you get its copyists that are, are pretty successful in their own right so battlestar galactica springs to mind and that's one that was a very 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 successful uh film that was later rebooted. And here I might sort of um, just mention a couple of Australian connections. Uh, Australian director, Michael Reimer, uh, whose uh, first feature Angel Baby was such a big success. He uh, was the setup director of, uh, and I think ultimately a producer of the Battlestar Galactica television series and employed my friend Danny Cooper as editor of that program. And that, that too uh, um, built a, a huge audience and enjoys uh, repeated reruns in the television world. So, uh, and, and incidentally, the Australian connections uh, on Star Wars are, are also f easy to point out. The late Peter Sumner, uh, a well-known uh, actor uh, in, in Australia, um, happened to be in London and basically found himself in a movie he didn't know the title of, put on a funny uniform, and there he is in the original Star Wars film. Uh, I worked on the West End in Hollywood with... Uh, sorry, in, in, on the West End stage in London with uh, Bill Hootkins, who uh, is famous as the, uh, he was a pocket battleship of a man uh, and a polymath, spoke a great many languages, but he played that X-wing uh, fighter pilot who's shot down. He's a big, 
bulky man and he squeezed it into we certainly he screams into his microphone red leader red leader or words to that effect as he spins out and he's a he's a much a greatly beloved character even in a tiny or tiny role so um and then of course the film uh, the film series continues in australia star wars 2 uh, in terms of um the narrative of the uh, of the thing we remember that there's a there's an, the original three films are the middle of the story and it's then they're preceded by later made prequels and followed by later made uh, uh, successes. So um, Star Wars 2 was made right here in Sydney. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Sydney in case that's not been made clear uh, and uh, featured a great many Australian actors, Rose Byrne, Leanna Walson, Joel Edgett and Ron Falk. Uh, and uh, uh, my partner shot the stills on it and travelled all over the world uh, to Tunisia, Spain and other places shooting the stills for the film. So uh, we, we sort of see that it grows it grows, it becomes bigger than, than it could ever have possibly sort of been imagined. And ultimately, um, when Lucas gets to the point of, of signing off or, or, and entrusting the, the value, the cultural legacy of the film, never mind its economic legacy, he turns to uh, the sort of obvious uh, 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 place. If you think about Walt Disney Productions as the original um, employers of fable, uh, they they um, adapted Grimm's fairy tales uh, into very, very highly successful series of cartoons that most of us at some time or another grew up on or have seen versions of. And so they were the, that was the original, and it goes back to the advent of film itself in the United States. So you've got Disney right there at the start of film adapting Fable, and at the end of the Star Wars kind of originator's involvement, that's Lucas I'm talking about, he turns to those who have who have made uh, that their expert cap capability to, to work with Fable. Now, of course, it offends a great many of the, uh, the fans, no doubt, that that, that change occurs. But, but uh, Disney had itself been threatened by a kind of a demise and, and made sure it, it, uh, it ate the competition. Uh, so it, it consumed Pixar. Now, in the Star Wars narrative, what would you, how would you characterise Disney? Disney is the empire striking back. <laughs> Disney is ultimately the kind of um, uh, right place, uh, at least economically, commercially, uh, in terms of uh, Hollywood expertise, in terms of the best fit of, um, of, a, of a kind of um, a house style or a stamp or a, or a heritage. Probably Disney is the right place for somewhere like, like Star Wars to, uh, to, to continue on. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1977. Elsewhere in 77, Brazilian soccer star Pele played his final professional game before retiring on the 1st of October. Considered by many to be the greatest soccer player of all time, Pele began his career in the mid-1950s. His final game was an exhibition match between Santos, his first professional team, and the New York Cosmos, his final professional team. Pele played for the Cosmos during the first half of the game and then switched teams to play with Santos during the second half. The Cosmos won 2-1. to one. During his career, he helped win three FIFA World Cups for Brazil's national team and has the record of most career goals scored with 1,281. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is Queen with We Are The Champions. I paid my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime 
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1977, the first Star Wars film with Dr. Lewis Fitzgerald. Just lastly, we've, we've spoken about its success and or massive unforeseen success as a commercial enterprise. How is Star Wars reflected upon critically as a film? Uh, I think it's always been seen as a romp. I think it's fair to say. I think... Um, uh, th- that does not uh, diminish the film's um, extraordinary cultural value. Uh, th- there is um, considerable uh, uh, hand wringing and uh, and and hair pulling over uh, missteps uh, that uh, either are perceived by fans or critics to betray its original um, its original intent or or particular virtues. Uh, uh, one can think of the advent of a couple of characters that I, uh, the names of which I can't now bring to mind that, that seemed missteps. Um, uh, the Hollywood universe, the Hollywood fan universe, I should say is, is pretty clear on um, 
on what it wants from the film experience. And there is a sort of a, a feedback loop of fan responses, less so critical ones. After all, the, the films aren't made to please critics. They're made to please audiences. And generally, if you do the one, you do the other. So uh, in responding to fan inputs, uh, the films have um, uh, occasionally sort of straightened up and flown right, as it were, I think, uh, rather than responses to critical inputs. So uh, it's sort of the tail wagging the dog a bit there, I think, rather than someone in an ivory tower um, um, making criticisms of uh, this or that approach. Um, Remember that Star Wars is not where you go to satisfy your every desire in the realm of science fiction, but it did open up that space and it opened it up for the Alien franchise. It opened it up for... Uh, further kind of um, uh, satirical, uh, not comedic necessarily, but uh, I'm thinking of Starship Troopers here. Uh, It opened it up for um, uh, Pitch Black is another series uh, that that, uh, that, uh, exploits the the, the space saga sort of thing. And and it opened up Australia as a destination for some of these films to shoot in, don't forget. So uh, it's... The Star Wars phenomenon is, it's kind of difficult to to grapple with. It is so big. Its impact has been so vast. Um, It's almost like one of its characters. It's, what was that big slug of a character that... uh, Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) Jabba the Hutt. It is almost Jabba the Hutt. Its appetites are so huge. And uh, I think that... uh, it, it's got to be respected purely on the basis of its scale, of its, of its magnitude. It, it, it's a term that we've heard a lot um, in, a, in times of crisis, too big to fail. Now, we've heard that about banks, haven't we? We've heard that about all kinds of things. Well, as an enterprise, and that almost leads us segueing into Star Trek, doesn't it? But as an enterprise, uh, it, it can't be allowed to fail. It, its fans won't let it fail. And indeed, some of their own productions uh, are in the Star Wars Museum in in uh, uh, in Hollywood. I think so. So the the series is so um, uh, uh, beloved that even if it was to stop being made uh, by Hollywood in the professional sense, it would continue to be made and remade uh, uh, on phones, even uh, by kids in costumes, uh, by anybody wanting to participate in that so richly imagined world. And, and of course, um, it's, it's kind of once again taken us back to the cinema of the boyhoods of Spielberg, Lucas and Coppola and others, those Saturday afternoons in the cinemas uh, where they would sit and watch serials, uh, uh, film serials one after the other and, and, and brought us um, all the way to the present where we will binge watch things in order to sort of slake our thirst or appetite for a particular thing all at once. And uh, these franchises have identified um, a scale of appetite uh, which simply demands the the constant revision and uh, reimagining of as the the screenwriter would say, the, the familiar in new and interesting ways. We've, we're always hungry for something that's 
a, a flavor or a taste or a sight that we remember, but, but somehow reimagined. So uh, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's Star Wars for me and, and it's going to continue. It's the gift that keeps on giving or it's, uh, or it's uh, the millstone that drags us ever deeper into the mire, which depending on which way you, you look at it, but it, it, it's, it simply cannot be ignored. Uh, and, and Hollywood will uh, f- find room for it, I think, until uh, you and I are both long in the grave. Well, thank you so much for joining us and reflecting on such a big uh, turning point in film history. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Jacob, it's been my pleasure joining you. All the very best. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Don't forget to join us at the same time next week for 1978. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1977, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Don't forget to join us next week as we move to 1978 and the inaugural Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras on the 24th of June 1978.